right, welcome to this week's episode of Two Average Ordinary Guys. What's up, Scott? It's nice. It's <laughs> nice carryover from last week. It's very the, nice. The awkward introduction. Yes. Love that. All right. <laughs> through, the, uh, through the magic uh-huh. of technology, uh-huh. we are speaking with someone far away. Acro- who, across who the that? pond. Who yeah. is it? It's, it's, it's Mikhail. Mikhail. How are you doing? I'm really good. How is everyone? Very, very well. It's good. <laughs> Scott, just, just for the record, Scott answers in binary uh, sometimes. So, so sorry. Our apologies. Um, so, tell us about Mikhail, Jonathan. What, well, what does he do? We'll let Mikhail tell about Beautiful. Mikhail. Mikhail, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I'm I'm a Frenchman living in London, and I make bow ties for people worldwide, and ties and all kind of menswear accessories, and I also work in tailoring. So I work a huntsman um, on Savile Row. I've, I've been in London for the past for the past six years, and I grew up in a in the southwest of France, in a very countryside by the mountains, thirty minutes drive from Spain okay. uh, by the Pyrenees. Okay, awesome. Yeah, that's 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 where I like to visit. Me in, too. In that's, that country, that's exactly where I like to. <laughs> in, in Ohio, though, right, Scott? <laughs> I, I've been to Cedar Point before. It's <laughs> right, amazing. The metropolis of Sandusky. It's amazing there. Um, so so all right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna start off by uh, like we always do by playing a game. Yes. And uh, yeah. We're gonna play utter nonsense, which is my personal worst game. I'm we are. really bad at this game, and uh, which is accents. So, um, so uh, let's see. Uh, you are legendary at these accents. I am, too, I am legendary. John. Yes. I have uh, picked some cards here, and um, I have sent them to Mikhail. Yes. And yeah. you guys are gonna play head to head on this one. And so, uh, Mikhail, would you mind uh, reading your first card or your first accent? What is your first accent you're going to attempt? So, my first accent I'm going to attempt is Batman. <laughs> All right. Right. I, I love so, it. I, I'm not too sure if I have to do a French Batman or an English Batman because I obviously have different voices. So, I'm going to try and go with an English Batman. Yeah, that would be brilliant. Yeah. Right. So, my first, my first accent is. I'm going to straight up murder that tuna casserole. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, love I it. hope that was deep enough. That was good. I, I loved it. I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> it was pretty good. I actually have my work cut out for me here. Batman's my best shot. But just so that our listeners can get a little taste of the tit for tat here, uh, let's let Jonathan go and do the exact same one <clears throat> head to head. <clears throat> All right. Here's your Batman. Here we <clears throat> go. I'm going to straight up murder that tuna casserole. <laughs> and that's, I don't know. That was good. That was really you probably, good. You probably did beat me, yeah. He did beat you. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I, I was going for the uh, the Christopher Nolan Batman. Uh, yeah, uh, moving right along here, uh, Mikhail. So, is an American accent? Is that one of the harder accents to do, or is there a certain ones that you like to do, or do you like uh, to do any? I just, I just, can't, I just can't do any accent at all. Every single time I try to imitate someone from, you know, from a different country, people always end up looking at me, thinking, "What, what the hell is he trying to achieve here?" <laughs> so it never really, it, it never really works. The only one that I can do really well is obviously the French one, but that's about it. Well, that's that's odd because your next card is your French one. Can you do your French yeah exactly? Card? Let's hear this. I can't wait to hear Jonathan right. do his. Then you ready? I'm I'm going to sound even more French than I usually do. Yeah, I love let's it. Let's do it. Right, let's do it. Marshall, I love what you've done with the foyer. But what's going on with all these porcelain birds? 
<laughs> I love it. I'm screwed. It's so good. I can't wait. But this, see, now sit back and relax, Mikhail, because now you get to hear Jonathan try this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Excellent. Let's see, let's see if you're more friends than me. Oh, he's he's gonna he's gonna really. Batman was my only hope. <laughs> that, that was your only hope. <laughs> All right, uh, Marshall. Oh, I love what you've done with the foyer. <laughs> <laughs> But what's going on with all these porcelain boards? <laughs> he just did it for you, and you still couldn't do it. I was trying so That's hard. That's going to be just as bad as my next one. Oh, <laughs> oh no. So what's, what's, your, what's your next one? What is the last one? So the last one is, is a pirate. Oh. I don't, even know, I don't even know where to start. Um, have you seen the Pirates of the Caribbean? Have you seen those movies? Yeah, I have, but... Um, as I say, I'm just really bad at I'm really bad at accents. So I'm just going to try and picture myself as a pirate and see what I would I would sound like. Okay, all right, all right. I like all it. Right, yeah. I would like to propose to your daughter, sir. <laughs> and this enormous yacht has nothing to do with it. <laughs> all right. That's good. Ah, I don't think I've got it though. But That's a damn good hey, pirate. <laughs> That was, a, that was a French pirate. <laughs> that was a French pirate. Yeah. yeah that's... It was a French pirate. There's always a bit of French, whatever I do. <laughs> I'm going to go for a North Carolinian pirate. Oh, let's so hear something it. like Blackbeard. I can't wait. I can't wait to hear this one. Because <laughs> everybody knows the recordings of Blackbeard, what his voice sounded like. Yeah, there's lots of recordings of those knocking around. <laughs> right. All right. <clears throat> Arr, I would like to propose to your daughter, sir. And this enormous yacht has nothing to do with it. <laughs> Very interesting. <laughs> I, I have to say, as you know, I'm the ultimate judge for this, yes. and I get to to uh, say I'm gonna. I'll give you one point, Jonathan. Okay. But Mikhail steals the show. He gets the two points with his Batman and his oh, French accent. Thank you. And uh, he takes it home. Takes home the belt. Yeah, he he owns the uh, the European belt. That's it. He's got it now. The European belt. Amazing. And I go to Owen, Every, everyone Owen who knows me is not going to believe this. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll send you like a little uh, a little gold belt. That's then. right. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back, and we're going to talk to Mikhail a little bit about uh, how he got into making bow ties, how he got into Huntsman, and then kind of uh, what he's doing at both of those places now. Great, I want to learn. All right, and we're back. So uh, once again, we're here with Mikhail. Uh, so uh, how'd you get into uh, the style business, the fashion business, Mikhail? So I grew up in the southwest of France, and I, I moved to the UK about 10 years ago for the first time. Um, and I was I was teaching French um, in the south of England in a small town called Romsey. And I used to go to London now and then, and I was fascinated by the people there. And then, you know, I kept going back and I kept going back. Completely by chance, I discovered about the vintage scene in London. So, you know... People dressing up with you know 1940s suits, um, listening to jazz music, and I started getting into the scene, mm-hmm. and it got me into dressing up a bit more into suits than you know than what I would what I would wear before, and I think this is what really started getting me into menswear, but not especially tailoring. I think through the years. After leaving the UK for the first time, because I lived there for a full year, then I moved to Australia for a full year traveling. Then I went back to France for a few years. And then when I was back in France, this is the moment where 
I started making bow ties for myself because I was I was still you know wearing vintage inspired garments but I couldn't find bow ties that I liked mm-hmm. and it was really bow ties specifically that I just couldn't find you know I looked I looked online and I couldn't find anything and then I remember going to Paris to to go and see my family and when I was there during my trip I went into all the stores that I could think about in Paris that I used to sell bow ties and after a full day of shopping being Tired. We know, you know, we know how it is shopping in a big city and going into stores. It's not a thing that we really like to do. No, it's exciting um, for the first two stores, and then after that, you're kind of like, all right, let's let's just get this over with and go have some fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because we, you know, we just want to find the thing that we're after, and you can't if you can't find it, it's really frustrating. So after that full day of shopping, I just, you know, I came back home and I saw why why can I not find botas that I like in the biggest city in France that's supposed to be, you know, very fashion forward. Obviously, it's not, it's not a fashion, you know, but as another fashion thing. But so this is really odd. I just can't find something that I, that I like in such a city. The only place that I really liked the bow ties were, was Charvet mm-hmm. in Place Vendôme. I mean, they have an absolutely incredible, you know, collection of collection of bow ties there. But that was the only place in Paris that, that I liked. So I, so when I went back to the southwest of France in my you know in my countryside, in my small village of ten thousand inhabitants, I saw if I can't find bow ties that I like in Paris, I might just start making it myself. You know, just creating a pattern from scratch. And you know, I cut it and I tried to turn it into a bow tie, and it was an absolute catastrophe the first time I did it. <laughs> I literally had to, to start with, I really had, I had no one to teach me at all how to make bow ties. So I really struggled at the start. And then luckily, my mother introduced me to one of her friends who, she's um, a seamstress. Okay. And so we started figuring out how bow ties could be made, what was an easiest way to make it. And we started understanding a bit the shape um, and the design side of the bota, which is one of the essential parts. And I think I think one of the crucial parts about you know, designing the botas and making botas is is actually making all the mistakes when you don't know what you're really doing. Yeah, that's that's um, where the true learning happens, right? Yeah, that's that's really the only way. You know, I started experimenting with different fabrics and different shape and different curves for the bow ties. And after, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks of mistakes and, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks of making bow ties and just ending up, you know, cutting them in two because it just didn't work. I started understanding, you know, the different variations that you could have in a bow tie to make it look best and then i just kept i just kept making it and making it and then after a few years of being back back in france i started missing the uk i was i was missing people mostly um just people in general not 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 any specific person just just Mm -hmm. people i always saw always thought english people were were really friendly and really open-minded which is very different from uh from france not just the southwest just france in general Mm -hmm. um and I found it really refreshing, and I was missing this. Okay. So, so after being back in France for three years, I moved back to the UK, and this time, well, I moved to London with one of the friends I had from, you know, from a few years back, and I've not left the city since then. <laughs> what drew you so much to the English people in in London? I mean, what 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 is it specifically? I think English English people are really friendly. 
to me compared you know compared to French people back in France it's not it's not always a great thing to be seen as different in any kind of way I'm not talking about wearing a suit and boat as when you when you're in your 20s just just being different in general I think French people are not as accepting as English people are especially back in you know back in London in London you can be whoever you want to be you can do whatever you want to do people might judge you but at least they won't say anything about it um, compared to, to back home. I found that really refreshing and really freeing. And I think that's what drew me the most to, to moving back to the UK. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. You you said earlier that you thought this was kind of like a full country mentality, you know, not just a small town. Uh, so, so you see like uh, Paris is, is a much more closed city than, than London then, you would think? Yeah, I would, I would definitely think so. Um, I think Paris has changed a lot in the last, in the last 10 years, or maybe I've changed a lot. And, you know, I'm seeing a different side as well. We're very judgmental back home and we're not really afraid to say what we think, which is not always a good thing, especially when it comes to hurting other people's feelings. It's just not the easiest place to be different. So, uh, so how did you end up getting into Huntsman then? So, um, so I'm going to try and make the story short once again. Um, before moving to the UK, so I was I was making bow ties back, you know, back home for myself mm-hmm. and for friends. Yeah. And I thought about moving to London, and I was run, wondering what you know what would I do in London. Mm-hmm. And even before moving there, I thought, well, you know, I want to make bow ties, and I want to work in the tailoring industry. I want to work at the tailor on Savile Row. And that's basically was the plan that I had when I moved to London in the first place. Okay. You know, without thinking, oh, I'm going to do this in tailoring or I'm going to do that in tailoring. I'm, I'm just going to move to London. I'm going to try and get into the tailoring industry. You're just going to figure it out once you get there. Yeah, that that yeah, that yeah, basically was the idea, you know. Okay. Uh, 22 or 23 years old French man, you know, I'm just going to move to London and work in the tailoring industry and see where it takes me. So I moved to London and my very first job, I worked at Hackett on Regent Street. Okay. And that was really mm-hmm. my, my first menswear job. Okay. And after a few months of working at Hackett, I had Savio Taylors getting in touch with me uh, to make bow ties for them. Okay. I think this was my very first introduction to to Savile Row. One of the tailors that I work with sometimes for, for bow ties, Cadena Dandy. So they got in touch with me in the first place. They said, look, uh, we've got a customer who's interested in bow ties. Could you please come to the store and show them what you do and uh-huh. you can meet them. So back then, when I, when I very first started with bow ties, I used to have a briefcase that I, I built a display inside it. So when I would open them, I would open the, the case, you would have all the bow ties displayed inside as soon as you open it. That's why you're successful because you, you think of things like that. You're not just like, eh, I'm just going to make some bow ties and yeah. hopefully someone's going to buy it. It's, it's, that, no. it's that thought of like, hey, here, here's what I make. I make the best in the world and, and I'm going to show you all of them right now. Exactly. And I, and I saw for a long time, how can I display? And I saw, well, I'm going to go and see people here and there. So I'm just going to make a, a suitcase. It was an aluminum suitcase, I think from the 50s, uh-huh. that I just turned into just into a bow tie display, really. Uh-huh. After a few months, I ended up joining them to work on the tailoring side where I would look after customers 
I would take measurements. I wouldn't do any, I wouldn't do any cutting personally, mm-hmm. but I would be, you know, the customer facing at Cadena Dandy. And I, know, I learned a lot of things about tailoring with them. And that was really my introduction to the world of tailoring. And as soon as you're on Savile Row and you do something quite specific, let's say you make, you know, make bow ties or you make, I don't know, you make breeches or you make, you know, very certain type of, of jackets mm-hmm. as soon as you have a very specific skill this is usually something that the house is like because Savile Row is it's really that someone does something really well we use them so slowly I started becoming the person making the bow ties and I started getting lots of different tailors getting in touch with me and then as soon as you are you know into the community uh, you know people talk a lot so people started to know me as a as a bow tie maker and you know, with the years I spent on Savile Row, I, you know, I got I got more and more people getting in touch, and and I started making bow ties for, for basically most of Savile Row. It seems like most of uh, my experience in, in industry is that you can always do better if you do the niche instead of trying to do what everybody else is doing. So if you're doing the thing that's very unique and just be the master of the things that are unique, then uh, then that can that can get you a lot further along than trying to just you know, go, go be a tailor, like figuring out how to make a bow tie, figuring out how to make a hat, figuring out how to make belts, things that are unique accessory pieces that most people aren't making seems to be a really interesting way to get, get ahead in the industry as well as like save these accessories for future generations, because a lot of this stuff's unique. And if, if it dies, it dies. And like how uh, yeah. Mikhail said too, that on uh, Savile Row to be unique, is the most precious of mm-hmm. commodities there. Yeah, and something I, I've noticed as you as you were talking about this um, uh, bow ties is you never said that you tried to emulate a bow tie, and you also never said that you took a, a bow tie that you liked apart to see it how it was built to reverse engineer it. I did have bow ties that you know that I that I opened to try and understand how they were made because that's you know that's part of the process. It's mm-hmm. I think it's a bit. You know, like a like a coat maker. When you when you start and you know make a coat, you need to try and understand how it's made. Mm-hmm. So I I did do this, but then I think it's through the process of making you you find your own way of doing things, and it's not to me. It's, it's never been about oh I want to make the make the same boat as a Charvet. That's that's it's never been it's mm-hmm. never been what it was about. I just wanted to find a way to make bow ties that I liked. Mm-hmm. And, you know, throughout the years, I've been, you know, I've been experimenting a lot with, you know, different type of fabrics, a lot of different shapes. I've been, you know, perfecting the shape that I'm using now, and I'm still perfecting them now. You know, I've been working on this for years, using different, you know, interlining inside, you know, different thickness and different compositions, because they wouldn't behave the same way, and they wouldn't give the same volume to the bow tie. And, you know, depending on the fabric that you use, you have to use a different interlining, because, you know, you're not going to use the same interlining with a velvet that you're going to use with, with a very light silk. So it's all these subtleties that you you learn throughout the years, just with experience and through mistakes, most of all. <laughs> because sometimes you think, right, right, this is going to work. I'm going to use this with this. And then you make the bow tie and you realize, well, it's not working, is it? 
Yeah, yeah. So of course you start everything again. And this is this is how you learn. And if someone was to give you everything you needed to make that bow tie, let's say, maybe they could make a bow tie, but it wouldn't be the same as me making it, choosing this fabric with this certain interlining and with this specific shape because I know it's going to work. And, and additionally, being that you are the designer, you're the one that's building the bow ties you love, it's much easier to sell those things. It's a lot harder to sell something that you're not passionate about. You know, it's like you could be selling a, a oh, yeah. you know, a bow tie that's, you know, it's a bow tie, but it's not your thing uh, versus selling like this is something my blood, sweat and tears are poured into that, that passion yeah, for that what, what, yeah, the excitement and, and to give that all, along to the customer. hundred percent. I always find it quite interesting because I'm a maker before anything, you know, I make bow ties and that now has a brand and I, I hope that people, you know, understand the passion through me talking about it because I'm yeah. I'm making something because I, I love making botas. I love making beautiful things. Yes. And you know, when you talk to someone who's passionate about his craft, you know, maybe a co maker, trouser maker, someone who makes waistcoats, ties, pocket squares, bow ties, shoes, hats, anything, mm-hmm. if you're passionate this is something that your customers are going to feel. And when you're passionate and you care, it translates into your products. Certainly does. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and talk designs and uh, a little bit about uh, modern fashion. We'll be right back. Lovely. Welcome back. Exciting stuff in the, the first two segments. Yeah, I'm learning so much. So let's uh, let's get into it uh, and, and talk a little bit about what uh, what kind of inspires us. So uh, start with our guest, Mikhail. What, what, what are some things that inspire you in the designs, um, in bow ties and in menswear? You know, we, we meet a lot of people along the way. I don't really have any you know, specific people in mind. But, you know, from moving to London, um, you know, meeting people from the vintage scene and then moving into, you know, the menswear and then the Savio scene and, you know, going to going to Florence for PT Uomo and meeting mm-hmm. even more people, you know, in the international menswear scene. You take inspiration from, you know, from these people, just seeing the way, seeing the way they dress, seeing the way they move, seeing the way they speak. To me, that's, that's the biggest inspiration. It's people more than anything else i've never really been into you know fashion and i've never been a person who's you know fascinated with a brand or fascinated with a house right it's always it's always been about normal people wearing normal clothes and, and just being themselves yeah so yeah that i think i think that's that would be my my biggest inspiration that, that's awesome nice. what about you scott like, um, like in in things that you do like music yeah, and yeah, that yeah. sort of thing for, for me i'm you know musician uh mm-hmm. composer do things for um, musical theater or sometimes television, a little bit of film, you are being asked all the time to emulate somebody else. Mm -hmm. Make it sound like this. Make it sound like this. So part of becoming a good composer was learning to emulate. When you're really lucky is when somebody trusts you enough and lets you run with it Mm -hmm. and do something unique and that would be satisfying for yourself. So when anybody talks like this, like Mikhail, he's talking about uh, fashion. You talk about fashion. Your work, I always think about how it translates to to my art form, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And they always do. My wife is a painter. I always mm-hmm. think about that. We always talk about the the um, the correlation between the two. Mm-hmm. But I think Mikhail is really inspiring because he's in a position where he can do what he wants to do. Right. And it's satisfying for him, and it's satisfying for the people who are 
coming to him. Yeah, and I think you, I think you got you, you got a really good point here because art, you know, art in general, once again, it's it's something that surrounds us absolutely everywhere we go and art is made by people so you know it goes back to it goes back to people again you know one of the things when i travel to, to different countries i always tend to go to all the national museum and there's a lot that you can learn and you can be inspired from just in art in paintings you know the number of times i've taken pictures of paintings just thinking wow this mm-hmm. is this is a really cool outfit that's definitely something i could wear yeah but once again that's something that comes from people because this specific person is wearing you know a very specific garment in a very specific environment and he decided or she decided to wear that specific thing and it still comes from the person once again and it's the same as music you know a composer is a person who creates something that comes from within so once again that comes from someone yeah what about you Jonathan? for me it's 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 i really tend to find travel like uh, and not just for the sake of travel but like um, like cities and um, nature landscapes, like those things I find super inspiring when I look at like just natural beauty that exists and patterns that kind of recreate um, in nature or patterns from certain cities. Because if you're in cities that were maybe, you know, came to prominence during a certain, you know, they, they had like maybe a 30 year streak where their their Gilded Age happened, you know, um, and, and, yeah. and, and kind of those um the commonality between those uh different structures and the the wallpaper and the curtains and the paint that was used and then the different architecture that was used and the you know, the materials that were used that give you the different textures like all that sort of thing inspires me um and makes me kind of go back to that time to say okay well what what were the people thinking what were the people wearing so you know you're going you like, like to stone pick up, you like to pick up on the vibe yeah the things, vibe of so the place yeah, yeah. and that's what i really find inspirational cuz i can be totally by myself go someplace and become insanely inspired. Or I can also be, I'm a people person. I love being around people. Mm -hmm. I can be in a group of people and be in a completely uninspiring place and then find something that's unique to me that I'm like, okay, this I'm inspired now as well. So I pick up on what you guys are talking about a hundred percent. Yeah. But also if, if I had my druthers, (laughs) I would be, uh, I'd be uh, going some to some unique city and, and kind of just trying to figure out what's you know what's the commonality in the city. What can I pull pull together as far as like patterns and textures? So. Sure. So speaking about you know we've been talking about bow ties and tailored clothing and and that sort of thing. Uh, what's your thought, Mikhail, on on the, the kind of the permeation of um, casual and active wear? Uh, I I know in the U.S. Um, it's it's really bad <laughs> as far as like uh, <laughs> as far as like everybody wanting something that's super stretchy and something that's really comfortable. That's because we're all fat and going away from tailored clothing. But <laughs> it is true. I but, think we're all being fat. You know, in the last few months, we definitely all need a bit of stretch. That's right. <laughs> that's true. right. But I mean, even even traveling internationally, you see everyone everyone is is getting more casual. Like even even the Italians. Yeah. So, uh, which traditionally they didn't concede and now they're conceding so um what what are your thoughts on this being that you know you make bow ties you work at huntsman i have a clothing store here in 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 the states and i make hats (laughs) you know like what uh what what are some of your insights coming from um across the atlantic yeah so i think you know on the on the on the bow tie side obviously obviously what i do is very is very formal Mm -hmm. it's a lot of black tie so so obviously the casual side is not, you know, is not as as strong. So I don't I don't see it that much. 
you know, I have customers who wear bow ties every single day and this is all they wear. To me, it's not, you know, I, I don't see it much in the, in the bow tie industry at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I think bow ties are really related to, you know, specific events, specific occasions, you know, weddings, dinners, parties. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's quite on the formal side. Very event driven. Um, on the on the Hansman side, you know, Hansman, we tend to be we, we're a very contemporary tailor, so we are on the modern side of tailoring, definitely. So we tend to go more. I wouldn't say with trends, but you know, we we'd be more opened, you know, to what is is happening in a in a modern world. But our customers tend to be tend to be quite formal as well. So we do, okay. you know, we do a lot of a lot of business suits. Mm-hmm. Um, we do we do suits for events as well. And we tend, you know, we, we tend to do separates quite a lot, uh, like much more than we used to a mm-hmm. few years ago. So, you know, separate jackets, separate trousers, suits, definitely for traveling. That's a really, a mm-hmm. really important aspect for a lot of our customers having a very international clientele. So they're, you know, they're always flying from, you know, from one side of the, of the globe to another. So this, the traveling side is really important. And, there are fabrics that are made specifically uh, for this that mm-hmm. is creasing that you can just wear and are very comfortable and then have a bit of natural natural stretch, not even you know man-made fibers, mm-hmm. just natural stretch. So that's an important thing for for our customers. Okay, right. uh, that brings me to a question, a silly question: Is there uh, any design? If, if we have a lot of like uh, jackasses that live in the United States that are kind of under the guise of that they are fancy or rich or whatever the case is, but let's take one of our uh, one of our uh, more famous goofballs like uh, the Kid Rock or somebody like that, mm-hmm. and he wants Mikhail to design him a bow tie or do something with with some sort of pattern. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that yeah. you guys would just refuse? Like we're not doing that. That's ridiculous. <laughs> is there anything like that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I would definitely say so. Um, you know, even even if Hansman is you know very modern and, and contemporary tailoring house, there are there are there are things that we there are things that we just wouldn't do. You know, it still has to stay to stay in line with with what we do as tailors. Mm-hmm. You know, we still Hansman, we still. We're still several tailors. We have to be proud of of the garment being a Huntsman garment because mm-hmm. it's got it's got our label inside. So it's got to be representative of the work that we do in house. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we've done things that are very you know very contemporary and modern. For example, we've done a, a collaboration with, with Reebok. I think that was last year. Okay. So Reebok designed a specific a specific fabric for shoes, and then we used exactly the same fabric. To make a jacket, I think it was for for an NFL player, and it was you know man-made fiber, and it, it really isn't a suiting fabric. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, but we made you know we made a coat with it, uh, which is very very unusual. It's not it's not what Huntsman would you know would do traditionally, mm-hmm. but we're in a modern world, so you know we have we we have to do these kind of things, and we have to you know to look forward and not you know keep the tailoring industry where it is at the moment. And that's that's definitely something that we're open to as long as it's still handsome. Yeah, it's tasteful enough to be handsome. There's a fine line between taste and actually giving your client what your client really wants. Speaking of doing the, the Reebok shoe fabric, uh, I have a client now that uh, loves this particular interior design artist. So I'm, I'm talking wallpapers, draperies, um, 
uh, <laughs> couches, you okay. know, that sort of thing. Yep. And uh, there's a Mackinac Island, Michigan, which is uh, the uh, Mackinac is an island between the lower peninsula of Michigan and the upper peninsula. And there's this grand hotel that's there that's on the island. And there's a designer. He's known for doing this entire hotel. My client loves this artist. Okay. Um, so when I first met him, he had called pretty much everyone in Ohio, every tailor in Ohio, every tailor in Michigan. And, um, and he, found, he found us and, and said basically he wanted this. He wanted a suit made from this fabric. Make me look like a love seat. <laughs> and uh, I, I'll send you this, this Mikhail, so you can see it. But um, he really wanted this jacket, um, and, and he needed he needed it in like th- uh, like four weeks, four or five weeks. And uh, I'm like, okay, well, you need to, you know, if is you, that super tight timing? That's that's really tight timing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Especially yeah. especially when no one's ever like touched this fabric. So, uh, you know, I'm talking to him on a Saturday that he found me, and I'm like, you've got a next day air this on Monday, and you know, it may or may not be done. So uh, he he sent me a picture of the fabric, but I'd never seen it or touched it in real life. You know, the the tailors get it, and they're like, oh, this is you know, this is legitimately like upholstery slash drapery yeah. fabric you know this is going to be really hot and you sure he wants lining i'm like yeah he seriously wants lining in this thing i'm like uh-huh. so anyways we made it he was super duper happy it's a unique piece it's a talking point for us it's a talking point for him it's his he, like, di- he died later of heat exhaustion but that's beside the point <laughs> well no he came back two years later when this guy came out with the new design and had us do the new one so we've made two jackets out of upholstery oh for this guy God. But I mean, even when I'm doing the final fitting in his jacket, he's like drenched in sweat. And I'm like, yeah, he, you know, this, this is made to like keep heat in. It's, it's an insulator. It's not something that's uh, yeah. going to keep cool. But, uh, but yeah, it was one of those things where we we're thinking about it. Like, okay, well, this, this is not something we would normally do, but it's a talking piece and it shows what we can do yeah. as a manufacturer, yeah. as, as a, as a, as a, you know, a vendor. Uh, versus if somebody came to me with like, um, you know, some really chintzy cotton with KFC all over it, can you make a jacket out of this? Yeah, I could, but I'm not, I'm not going to do that. You mm-hmm. know, it's, it's, it, yeah. there's a fine line between doing something out of the norm and then selling out. So you mean brand. I have to send all that KFC material back now? Exactly. Yes. Oh, yeah, you do. Great. You do. So I guess no bow tie. I'm not even going to ask Mikhail about my <laughs> KFC bow tie. That's right. No, I probably wouldn't be able. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, no, uh, but it's, it's, it's true. It's, it, it is a very fine line between, you know, making something that's different and making something that's true to your craft. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to... You know, you have to respect your work and, you know, do what you feel is right. And if you feel it's not, then you shouldn't do it. Yep. It'll, it'll cost you more business to accept something for the sake of accepting it than it would be yeah. if you just declined it. You, yeah, you guys don't aren't exactly. need in the business like that. Yeah, exactly. We didn't yeah, get in the business to do that. I think, <laughs> right. people, customers, I think customers respect, you know, when when you have, you know, makers or, or, or brand um that make choices and stick with it. You know, I think it really builds trust for customers. You know, they know, I know this guy knows what he's doing. I do respect his work. You know, I'll never see something that's, that's just, that just doesn't feel right. It just wouldn't happen. Yeah. And you have to keep that level of taste. Right. But just as high as possible for your customers to respect it. And I think this one extra step that you take that you shouldn't have taken you're going to lose all the trust that these customers have put into your work just for this one thing. Yep. And it's just it's just not worth it. 
Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break and then come back and uh, do a quick wrap up. Great. Brilliant. Sounds good. back uh last segment here so i uh, wanted to come back and give mikhail a little bit of time to talk about where you the listener can find him on social media and uh the internet yeah so you can you can find everything about about me online so on instagram my handle is la boutique bowties and you can find all the information on my website as well www.laboutique.com just contact me directly don't you know don't be shy. Just WhatsApp me. There's my number on there. Just email me. I'm all by myself, so you will, you know, get through me directly. Yeah. Um, so it'd be in good hands. You don't have any handlers that are uh, that are blocking you, <laughs> blocking people from you, right? No. And uh, that's La Boutique, no. so that's it's B O W um, instead of just yes. standard boutique. It's boutique like bow tie. So it'd be L A exactly B O W T I Q U E. Um, exactly that's the little pun on our social media we'll put out uh how to get in touch with mikhail as well so that way it'll be uh really easy for, yeah, for the links indeed so all right awesome well thank you so much Gordon. mikhail we really yeah. appreciate it we really appreciate your time well thank you both for having me of course and we'd love to have you back on sometime in the future definitely and say hi whenever you're in london just mm-hmm. let me know will do i will i will never come to london and not stop by and say hey me neither <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe someday I'll bring Scott to London and we can both say hi yep definitely that works for me <laughs> awesome well thank you so much Mikhail we appreciate it pleasure thank you very much guys alright bye bye